This is Wise Meadow with Kim Pillay and Chantal Laivaru. Today we're chatting to Kim about her research into skincare, the hows and whys of how she got great skin. It's interesting how the relationship we have with research usually comes from a personal relationship we have. Your interest in the banking system, your interest in how money moves around the world, mine in uh, the most challenging problems like public transport have led us to, to where we are. But where it's also so interesting is how that impacts our personal lives. And for you, that's been skincare. Having battled with um, your skin for a while, you started to really in-depth research skincare and, and what to do and, and how to do it and found some really interesting things that I'm really excited to chat to you about. So can you bring us up to date in terms of your skincare journey? Like where did it start and why? Um, I think we're setting the bar quite high when we're like, and Kim, Kim's amazing skin. So people are going to be looking out for <laughs> my amazing skin. And I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me, it started a while back and you know, it's not to say I, I don't have any formal qualifications um in it uh, i at one point did consider it um like a short-term course but i think for me it was purely looking at all the free material that was online that's generally my method of learning something i exhaust all the free options out there and because i'm also super thrifty and <laughs> so i exhaust all the free and then i look at paid but with skincare i learned so much and there's also like a multitude of different, uh, you can go to YouTube, you can look at like, there's tons of people with blogs. And then once I exhausted that, it came to the actual science side of it. And then I looked at the chemicals and formulations and stuff like that. That's really interesting how the, the research got deeper and deeper. Uh, and I think that's, that's kind of what happens in most research. You start with this uh, Competitor research, desktop research, ethno, and then it just it gets deeper and deeper. And then you're looking at usability tests and you're really studying and, and looking at what people are doing. What are the mental models around skincare and finding skincare that you discovered? Um, well, I think something that I thought of prior to being into skincare was I assumed that expensive products were quality. And that was probably one of my biggest mistakes because, uh, and, and there's, a, there's actually, there's so many interesting things that you can learn online uh, about the ingredients and the formulations. But yeah, like I'm saying, I assumed when I paid a lot that I would get a quality product. And I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are on that same, uh, that same mental model. And you'll see that in a multitude of countries, a variety of countries, skincare can have not just a hundred percent markup, but all the way to three, four hundred, five hundred percent markup. That's and a it's a lot. It's a lot. So there was actually there was actually a point where I was considering opening up a, a mini online business uh, with skincare. And I was considering importing the products and I looked into containers and yeah, it actually, it, it, it expanded because there wasn't a, a local market for, for what I was interested in uh, and the type of skincare. Cause I was very much into Korean skincare at that point. And that wasn't yet in South Africa. Now currently there is a few sites that sell it, 
um, I think you can get in a few stores as well. Yeah, it's quite incredible when you start to take those those discounts off. And in terms of local markets versus South Korean markets, is there just more available there? Because those are the predominant ones that you researched, or was it that you very after much research you funneled it down to South Korean being kind of the top brands? Uh, so South Korea is actually very interesting when it comes to skincare, and I think. K-pop for a lot of people. <laughs> um, that's what they're basically known for. And it, it actually initially started where I would watch these skincare videos that were very general. And eventually it led me to uh, a lot of uh, South Korean branded YouTube channels and uh, influencers. And then I would look at the products and the formulations. And you'll see country by country, they have different uh, parameters around formulations. So for example, sun cream in the US and I think it's Australia have different parameters around creating a sun cream. And that's why you'll see not as uh, cutting edge technology in terms of skincare formulations in the States. Uh, whereas in South Korea, they have like completely overwhelmed the market with different ranges of products. I also feel like I've watched a few videos and I think we'll link them down below on how this was actually a calculated decision on behalf of the economy of South Korea and how they chose to, to tackle this uh, with skincare because they, they have multiple manufacturers and this is a huge part of the economy now. Um, so yeah, I think it's, what's interesting is they have a variety of products for different uh, all sorts of different concerns and different incomes uh, all the way from your extreme top of the range to your middle range. And then they even have really, because that's the other thing uh, often if you think of, and that's another mental model. If you think of really cheap products, you think, okay, that's not quality. Whereas your South Korean, even low range, very low range products, uh, which I can think of one of the brands is called Kosarex. Kosarex has a beautiful range of products and they're cheap and they're, fairly easy to come by. Uh, I would say it's not very environmentally friendly because they are using plastic, but their products are very cheap for the quality that you get. That's incredible. It's, it's amazing how the focus of economy shifted South Korea so much um, and, and branched them out into, into other worlds. When you talk about those mental models, those also expand into the different cultural views people have around skincare. What did you discover around South Koreans perhaps versus the way that we think about it as South Africans? Uh, I think that's very interesting because I've, I've noticed quite a bit. Uh, I often see, I'm on quite a few groups uh, and I've seen people ask about skincare advice and uh, things to do. And yes, I think everywhere people do DIY uh, little concoctions. But in South, in South Africa, it's very, very common to do a concoction of like lemon juice, uh, and there's also something with uh, turmeric um, and, and lemon juice is actually very bad for your skin because it's very acidic. And so that's, there's a lot of like raw concoctions and that could come from potentially uh, low incomes, not having the money to spend on higher skincare products. Uh, or it's also the family remedy that's been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, in my family, actually, there actually is this um, turmeric little concoction that you put on your skin for removing pimples and acne and stuff like that, you know? But I think what the interesting difference is, is that also from the people that I know, uh, it seems, and it's, it, it seems anecdotal, but 
I also think about myself before this and I never knew about this world of skincare. It's, it's, and in terms of uh, psychology, it's called bounded rationality. And it's basically where when you don't have the knowledge about something, you trust the next best person, right? The person who seems confident and is explaining things well to you. And when we're going into pharmacies or into, you know, uh, a local boutique treatment like house or spa or something like that, uh, you're expecting that they have the knowledge that's going to help guide your way and help you pick your products. But the other issue with that is that they're, those people that are assisting you, um, they're very influenced by commission. So their model is to, that whole model is for them to sell. And I've noticed on quite a few occasions when I've gone in and there was a point where I was very much into skincare and I was trying to find local products because for me, it was proven quite costly to, to um, ship from South Korea every time I wanted products. And what I found was South Africans were very, uh, very much aware of the, the marketing side of the products, but they weren't aware of the ingredients and what the actual ingredient did. And I don't think, I don't think it's that, uh, I don't think it's, I don't look at it, at, at it as the, the be all and end all. I think the States, for example, was there as well. And now what's interesting with the States is they've got a, a product line called The Ordinary through a company called Deacon. And that's changed so many people's perspectives and outlooks on skincare, where their products are, are formulated through uh, basic ingredients. And what I found recently, which I'd love to link them, I'd love to link them here. Uh, and maybe even, oh, that would be amazing if one day we could even get them on, uh, is uh, a line, a local-based line called Skin Functional. And they're doing something very similar where they're tapping into uh, this very clean beauty uh, of simple names. And you're not, it's not this mir miraculous product that's solving all your problems. It's just, this is what it is. The product is alpha arbutin or the product is retinol or the product is ferulic acid. And this is what it does. It combats dryness. It combats redness. It combats uh, acne prone skin. And it's not like, it doesn't feel like a ton of marketing. It feels simple. And that's, I think also what I really love about like good quality skincare when it's minimalist and it's to the point. Yeah. I think the, the less, jargon helps people um and the that kind of plain like this is what it does and you can use it in combination with that you're completely right though about growing up with those um those wisdoms those those nuggets from from parents and um, my aunts used to put baby oil on their bodies and suntan you know mm -hmm. i would never i would never do that um and it's as we grow and, and as we learn more and we follow the great science um and we uncover these things so you were speaking about the ingredients and how this company is going, this is what this ingredient is, this is what it does. That must have taken a lot of research. How did you get to this kind of knowledge, this body of knowledge, and, and what did you learn about the ways that people interact with, with those? It was about figuring out firstly, it was a personal thing at first. So it was about understanding what were my skin concerns. And initially I was, uh, I figured out, that I had like dark patches around my mouth area and across my forehead. And I was very uh, conscious of those and I would wear foundation to cover it if I went to like an event. And it, that, that actually started my search. And when I looked into it, I found that that was called hyperpigmentation. And hyperpigmentation is caused from over sun exposure. 
and not wearing sun cream, which I wasn't doing when I was in my teens, which is when that started to form around my mouth and it just got darker and darker. And so I looked into that and then I saw, okay, this is what it's called and what types of, what type of products sold for this. And then I saw, okay, these are the types of products that solve for this. What are those ingredients in those products that are actually solving my situation? Because it was so expensive for me to buy from South Korea. I wanted to make sure that by the time I place an order, if it was five, 10 products, that it was, I was 100% certain. And I suppose that's also the overthinker in me, making sure that the things I'm buying is worth my money. So I would look at the ingredient list. I would go and match up and look at those, the, the, the type of ingredients in there. And then what I learned as well, which I have never, I, I, I've, and what's interesting is I've not come across other people that think of the ingredient list the same way. And funny enough, all ingredients work the same way. When you look at the ingredient list, the first ingredient is the most quantity in your product. The last is the, the least. So when you look at a product, uh, whether it's a soup and you look at the soup and it says, and it's onion soup and there's 50 variables, 50 ingredients. And at the bottom is onions. That's a bad, that's a bad onion soup, right? And then onion flavoring is right at the top. Okay. So there's, there's an example of it. When you talk about skincare, that's when you see the, the, the beauty of it, right? Because in skincare, you'll see, um, all sorts of different types of alcohols, before you see the ingredient that the product is claiming to have. So some product is claiming to be um, fighting hyperpigmentation, like I've been talking about. But the actual ingredient, there's a number of them. There is a number of them, but one of them is alpha arbutin. And alpha arbutin is right at the bottom of the list. That for me stands out. And what's interesting is companies don't have to, by law, it, it, it differs from country to country, but they don't have to say what the percentage is in the solution. So that also changes the whole game, right? Because now you're just basing it on a ratio game. You're like, okay, there's five ingredients uh, and the first one's water. So that's not a great sign, right? Or there's 20 ingredients and the first one's that ingredient that I want to combat the issue that I'm struggling with. That's a great sign. Then you also look at the combination of the ingredients because certain ingredients uh, when put in a formulation, they can make this, uh, the formulation unstable. So another product that I really enjoyed and I use currently as well for my hyperpigmentation is vitamin C. And vitamin C in skincare is amazing. It is amazing for your skin, for anti-aging, for hyperpigmentation, for it, it just makes your skin look so, it, it makes your skin glow. However, hi, uh, vitamin C can be very unstable it can oxidize if not formulated correctly. And then it starts to have this weird orange tinge to it. And what I've noticed is on the shelf, for example, in one of our local pharmacies, I've noticed one product in particular that at every pharmacy, it's oxidized. And when I've chatted to the sales reps about it, they say that's how it's supposed to be. But if you look at the product right at the back, that's just been put on the shelf, it looks nothing like that formulation. The staff, the staff who are actually uh, allocated to that brand, don't understand that the formulation actually oxidizes over time. I think also we have to remember that the, the staff that are in the stores, they're not, they're not trained in the, the chemical compound. They're not trained in the, you know, the formulation. They're trained with marketing material. So it's not their fault. 
I don't, I, you know, but I think it's, it's also, and I think to an extent, I've realized that I need to have that knowledge when I make the decision and I need to know what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's so true. Research empowers, right? It's about empowering yourself in terms of, in terms of the research you're doing. Um, you were, you mentioned the law around skincare, um, and the percentages and that sort of thing. Is South Korea perhaps stricter about their skincare law? No, they're less strict. They're less strict. So they have a lot less, um, strictness on sun cream. And I think it's the formulation around sun cream. That's why you'll see such beautiful formulations that sit on your skin. Like, um, I'm sure you can think of a sun cream that you've put on your face that's burnt your eyes or left your skin feeling dry or makes your skin itch. And mm. what's interesting is there's a lot of people that I've come across that are like, oh, I have really sensitive skin. And the sensitive skin is actually, the, it's an issue that a lot of people struggle with because there's alcohol in your products. And having alcohol in a product that's supposed to moisturize is actually doing the, it's, it's countering the moisturizing effect because mm. alcohol, alcohol is drying right? Mm. And, and as well, if you look at your ingredient list, often it's quite high up. Generally, it's in the skincare community, it has been met with a lot of apprehension. They, they, purely because also, when you put alcohol, it doesn't solve the need of moisturizing your skin. There are different types of alcohols, and there is a reason for them putting the alcohol, because they're doing it so that their product is preserved for long periods of time. It can get shipped across countries, and it's not just South Korea, it's everyone's doing this. What's interesting is there are products that have figured out ways to not include alcohol in their products and their ranges are doing amazing. So I think it's, it's showing almost a, a, new, a new movement in skincare, the knowledgeable uh, user of the product, the knowledgeable customer who understands exactly what their skin needs, requires uh, the brand to be simple, minimalist and to the point, you know? Yeah. Thank you. That's really interesting. When, um, if somebody wanted to start doing research, what would you say, especially personal research, that's quite, what advice would you give them about starting desktop research, competitor research? I'd say give yourself the time. Give it, when you feel passionate about something or when you have a question, whether you're driving home from work or, you know, maybe it doesn't relate to your job at all. Don't, don't smother that interest. Don't smother that curiosity. And I think for me, what's interesting is, you, you know me, like I'm, I'm a little bit of a tomboy <laughs> with a lot of things. It was weird at first. I also struggled to figure out this interest that I had in skincare and I didn't even know what, what I was interested in. At, at, at first it was to solve my problem, but then I would watch product reviews and I would like, I went so deep into it and I was like, why am I still into this, you know? And, but I, I think I just realized that, well, you know what, I'm interested in this and I'm going to look at everything that there is on this, on this topic. And like I said earlier, I think looking at YouTube, looking, reading blogs, just fuel your passion, fuel that thing that you're interested in. Um, I think we'll include some YouTubers that I've really found informative down below. There is a YouTuber called uh, Gothamista, Gothamista. Uh, she started her channel of like two or three years back and she's done, done some beautiful videos talking about retinols and vitamin C's and she does product reviews. Recently, she's done more product reviews. So I think that's probably monetary, but I do think some of the more informative ones from her are definitely worth a listen. Leah Yu, uh, she is a, such a beautiful character in the skincare community because 
she has done so many informative videos and she now has her own skincare line after all of that. And her skincare line for me is beautiful because she's also recently done this video where she's talking, talked about minimalist skincare. There's this thing that happens where you're like, okay, this is my budget, right? And then once you have more money, you're like, okay, I'm going to buy more skincare and more and you add more steps. I think about a lot of people and they're probably doing maybe three. So that's maybe a cleanser, a serum, a moisturizer. Whereas this 10 step routine is double cleanse, serum, serum, toner, moisturizer, mist, facial mist, you know, and that's maybe double of each of those is a huge uh, consumerist culture that a lot of people are adopting in their lives. And what I really find amazing about Leah Yu is she has a skincare line now, but she's still advocating for doing a minimalist take on it. And she's saying, I'm not going to introduce a new product every year. These are basic products. You don't need to, I don't need to keep introducing something new. These are quality and you can use them consistently. If you do want to match it up with something else, then that's great. But I think this whole thing of having 10 products is, yeah, it can become so costly and I think quite unnecessary to an extent. Mm -hmm. So that's like the other side of the spectrum. There's like two sides of it. The one is not doing anything, um, you know, and the other is doing too much. Mm, and quite wasteful, I would get, like you were saying, quite consumerist and wasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be very exciting to see those links so that people can start following and, and figuring out a little bit of this on their own. I think it's, it sounds like a wormhole, you know, the kind of fun ones where you can just like and go. So that's really exciting. Thank you so much, Kim. It's a pleasure. I'm always happy to talk skincare. <laughs> We can do it again sometime. <laughs> okay. This was a conversation around research and skincare and how as researchers we tackle our personal interests. For further conversation, please join us on a variety of our podcast platforms and medium. Join us next week where we'll be discussing archetypes and personas. If you like what you have heard, please share and like this episode. We would love to chat about things that interest you. Let us know if you have any topics or even people you would love to hear about on the show. Because ultimately, the whys matter.